Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons on our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply email your response to pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. We're continuing in our uh, study of Galatians. We'll be in Galatians 6 this morning, entering in the last uh, bit of this book that we've been going through for a while. And we're going to read the first five verses of chapter 6. So let's look at that and read that together this morning. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted." Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the family of Christ. And I thank you for this local expression of the body of Christ called Rosemont Baptist Church. The, the family that is here, the friendships that, that we have, and how we together walk the, the, the Christian life arm in arm, hand in hand, sometimes we are elbow deep in each other's lives, helping uh, in, in various ways. And so I thank you for the special bond that Christians have with one another. And I pray today that you would teach us more about that in, in the topic of accountability and what that means. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So years ago, um, you might remember, and it's, it's still a commercial, even today, there was a commercial on TV, there was a, lay, a woman laying on the floor, and she says, I've fallen, and I can't get up. Anyone remember that commercial? Well, um, that is, that's still uh, a thing today. In fact, some of those commercials are even pretty tragic. Sometimes I have a hard time watching those commercials. There's a woman laying on the floor and wanting some help. And that, that particular phrase, I've fallen and I can't get up, was for a commercial for a product called Life Alert. 
right? And some of you may even have this. Life Alert is a great service. I'm not doing a commercial for them, but that you have a, uh, something that maybe you wear around your neck or maybe something that's attached to you. And if you are wa- you're at home and you're at home alone and you fall and you can't get up or you get to a place where you cannot get out, you press this button and help comes. And that's a fantastic service. And it has helped lots of people. They're, 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 when you can press a button and help comes. And as a, as a believer in Christ, as believers in Christ, it would help us to have a spiritual life alert, right? Where if we have fallen into sin, if we have struggled, if we're having some sort of burden that we press a button, so to speak, or we have some people that we know if we call or talk to or help, they will come running to help us out of this situation. And the Bible speaks of this, and the Bible speaks of it not as a spiritual life alert, but it uses the word accountability. And it, has, and it speaks of the theme of accountability. Accountability is the button, so to speak, that we press and we shout out, I have fallen and I can't get up. Somebody help me. And the believers in the church, those who love each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, are to run to this other person and say, how do we help? Grab hold. We're going to pull. We're going to help you out of this. We're going to do whatever it takes to get you up and restored again. Paul instructs, he instructs us on accountability here. While he doesn't necessarily use the words in verses 1 through 5, that is what he's teaching about today. Now, if you remember, he has just contrasted from, from verse maybe 14, 15, maybe 16. He's saying that there is, there is this battle inside of us. We have the flesh that has its desires and passions, and there is the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us, and the two are at war with one another. And he describes what the deeds of the flesh are. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and he says, this, this is the war. This is what's going on. But then he begins to speak here that he, un- he seems to understand that we are, are weak in the flesh. And there, there are times when the flesh begins to win and we fall. And he says, this is what should happen if one of us falls, we should press our life alert button and have the others come and help. And the others need to be prepared to come and help. And so we're going to talk about that today. Paul understands that there are times when the flesh wins, and if we have isolated ourselves from other Christians, if we've not allowed others to speak into our lives, then the chances are the flesh is going to win, and we are going to fall. So what are we to do when the flesh begins to have victory over the Spirit and Paul teaches us here the necessity of accountability. So let's see what he teaches us about that. And he begins by first showing us, listen, that the Christian life assumes accountability. The Christian life assumes we are going to be accountable to one another. That is to say, there are no lone Christians. 
If your idea is, I'm a Christian, and I can do this myself, and I don't need a bunch of other people, you know, interfering into my life, that is, that is really, first, a misunderstanding of the Christian life, but it's also not a healthy Christian life. The Christian life assumes accountability. He begins by saying, and I just want to mention one word here, he says, brothers or brethren, in verse 1. He begins with the word brothers, and it shows us that the Christian life assumes accountability. What do I mean by that? The closest relationship in the ancient Near East when Paul wrote this letter was the, the family. It was the blood. It was the mom, dad, brother, sister. This was the closest relationship that people had. And, and un, unfortunately, at least at this point in time, the, the spouse, or, or, or for a man, a wife, was was not blood, and therefore it was not as a close as a relationship sometimes as the family. Now today, and, and according to, to what we read in Scripture and all that, the marriage bond is the closest bond, at least ideally. That is supposed to be our closest bond. And so when the way we feel when a spouse might betray us would be the way that the Bible, uh, the, the author here, Paul, would have felt if, if a brother had betrayed them. It was, it was a very close relationship. There is, in a marriage relationship, there is built-in accountability, right? Rhonda has the, the right and the obligation to call me out if she sees something in my life that shouldn't be there. Because we are, we are together all the time. She has, she has intimate knowledge of my life. And as followers of Christ, we're both walking together. The, the spouse has the right and obligation to hold each other accountable. My brothers and sisters, I have two sisters and one living brother. They do not have that authority and accountability in my life. They could come to me and say, I think you need to be doing this. And I'd say, well, that's great, <laughs> but that doesn't mean much. I love my brothers and sisters, but they don't have that kind of authority in my life. But here, when Paul calls them brothers, we should understand that as the closeness we might equate with marriage. Accountability was understood in the brother relationship. So in the scriptures, when we hear about brothers or brothers and sisters, we are talking about an intimate accountability type of relationship. They did have the right and obligation to come and hold one another accountable. So let me say this maybe a different way. If we are, if we are a believer, if we are a Christian following the Lord, and we are not truly accountable to anybody, we are not living a normative Christian life. And we're not following a healthy Christian life. Accountability is assumed in a believer's life. But why is that the case? What is the purpose of accountability? Well, Paul tells us that. Look at the rest of verse 1. Accountability, first of all, he says, helps brothers get back up. He says, brethren, if, any of, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. 
So our spiritual life alert has a purpose. It is, it, we, we push that spiritual life alert, not so someone can come and say, I just want you to know you have this sin in your life, and I wanted you to feel bad about it, okay? That's not spiritual life alert. That's, that's condemnation, right? We got that. We know where we have failed. The spiritual life alert, accountability, isn't just to announce a problem, it's to provide the help we need. It's to help each other when the flesh is winning. And when we fall, accountability is the hand that helps bring us back up. And so accountability, if we look at this, has a couple of goals when we look at verse 1. First, the first goal is restoration. The first goal of accountability is restoration. Paul says, when we see someone get caught in a wrongdoing, we should do something. We should restore them. And caught here, it means to overtake, to come upon, to take unawares. It refers to a Christian who's being overtaken by sin before they even realize what's going on. It's a mistake. It's somebody who has made a decision and they step off and uh, step off the path and then they realize, I think... I'm, I'm, I'm now knee-deep in sin, and I need to get out, and I need help. And so they get caught. And trespass here, the word trespass, it's a false step. It's a blunder. It's a failure to achieve. It's actually the exact opposite if we looked in verse five, chapter 5, 25, where it says, if we, walk, if, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That word walk is a, is a straight line. And this word trespass is the exact opposite of that. It is, it is stumbling off the path. And so it is, it is the idea of a slip or a lapse into sin. Just first of all, note, this isn't someone who says, I know it's sin, I'm planning to sin, and I'm going to sin no matter what. That person doesn't want accountability in their life. They need to have it, but they don't want it. The, this is a person who is intentionally trying to live by the Spirit so they could walk by the Spirit, but the flesh is winning. And so they get off the path. So what happens when we have a brother or sister who slipped off? Remember, the goal is to restore. So what do we do? We restore. He says, if anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. And the idea of restore, it means to repair or to restore to a former good condition, to equip, to prepare. It was used of setting bones or, or if there was two factions that were fighting, bringing them back together. Or it was the idea of if you had a shoulder out of joint, it would pop it back into place. It was used of mending nets. It was taking something that was broken and making it useful again. That is the word that's used here. Our job as believers is to help each other not be broken. We can't, Jesus is the one who mends us, but we are to help each other mend when there is sin in our lives. And Paul constructed this when he says, restore such a one. It's a way that means continually. We are to repeat this every time it happens. It's, a, it's to keep on doing this, making this a habit or a lifestyle where 
where if there is a brother who falls, we help restore them. And then if they fall again, we help restore them. And if they fall again, we help restore them and we make it a habit of restoring people. Because sooner or later, we're going to need that in our lives as well. So we are to restore. As followers of Christ, as the family of God that is Rosemont Baptist Church, when we have a brother or sister who is struggling in sin, our job is not to destroy them. Our job is not to humiliate them. Our job is to restore them to pop that joint back into place so it's usable again. And we are to continually be looking to restore them, to restore the relationship with God, restore their relationship with us. You know, if a bone is broke and it's, and it's not set properly, then that bone begins to heal wrong, and sometimes that, that limb will not work right ever again after that. But if you get that broken bone and you set it right and it heals, it's stronger there than it is anywhere else on the bone. And if you apply that to people's lives, then you, you get to see a little bit of what, what he's talking about here. If there is a brokenness in someone's life and we ignore it and, and do not help restore them, then they might become unuseful. They might not ever get that fixed in their life where God may be using us to help them rid that of their life. But if we help them and restore them and set that bone right, so to speak, they become healthier there and maybe they're using that, that brokenness and that, that restoration to help others who are in need of that. And so if we, if we would think this way about a stumbling brother or sister, we would take the time to help restore them. We would want to make sure we help them and set the, the course right and, and give them the time to repair and be restored. So first, what do we do? We restore them. And he tells us who should do it. He says the spiritual or those who are spiritual. Those who are spiritual should do the restoring. So you're like, well, who's spiritual? You know, who do you think you are? Well, he tells us who's spiritual. He just told us in chapter 5. He said the fruit of the Spirit is, right, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When that is being produced in someone's life, that is a spiritual person. The Holy Spirit is producing fruit in their life. And so he has told us the fruit of the Spirit is this. And then he says those who are spiritual, those who are reflecting that fruit, those are the ones who do the rest restoration. And so when we encounter a brother or sister who's fallen into sin, are we showing patience with them and love and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? Or are we impatient with them and arrogant? Remember, we talked about love, agape love, and we went to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind and, and all the things that it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Is that being reflected when we look at our brother and sister? Restoring a sinning brother is exactly the thing 
that a spiritual believer does, the one who is reflecting the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, will be the one who does the restoration. So those who are spiritual, they should do the restoring of the sinning brother and sister. But the next question might be, how is it done? And he says, they should, those who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And last week I talked about how gentleness, or the King James uses the word meekness, this is not weakness. This is controlled power. Picture a souped-up car that's sitting at a red light, and it's, it's revving up, and this guy's ready to go, and he's ready for it to turn green, and he's going to peel the tires and go screaming down the road, and a police car pulls up right beside him. Okay? And his car's ready to go, and the light turns green, and he goes, you know, just really, right? That is, that is controlled power. That is gentleness. He could scream off the line and smoke the tires and, and go down the road. But he's under the control of the watchful eye of the policeman. Those who are spiritual are under the control of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we could go to a sinning brother and sister and say, well, I don't have a problem with that and you're just a dirty sinner. And we can tear them up. But those who are spiritual under the control of the Holy Spirit would go to somebody and restore them with gentleness under the control of the Holy Spirit so that they could be used again and healed. When our brother and sister are restored with the power, they're restored with the power and authority of the Word of God but we use that under the control of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean we're not honest with them. It does, we, we are honest with them. And we go to them and say, this is in your life, and, and it's not right, and it needs to be taken care of. But it's honesty that says, and I struggle with the exact same thing, that we, and this is how God helped me. Or it might be that says, um, I, I get that it's difficult, but we've got to work on it together. Let me, you know, however it is, we, we, call, we call sin, sin, but we must be gentle under the control of the Holy Spirit. Not our impatience, not our arrogance, not our, our thought of what this person's life should be, but we allow the Holy Spirit control. So the first goal of accountability is to restore. We restore those who are spiritual, and, and we do so gently. And then Paul tells us that the second goal is to stay away from sin. When we look at the last part of verse 1, he says, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. He's gonna, we're going to come back to that in verse 2, so um, I'll deal with that in a minute. But we cannot let our arrogance and our pride, when we are restoring a sinning brother and sister to impact our relationship with them. It is very easy to see someone who is struggling with something that you don't struggle with and think, man, they should have that under control, right? Look how good I am because I don't struggle in the way they do. And so our arrogance and pride can really wreak havoc in our desire to restore a person who needs it. So we need to do so. We need to restore, and we do so gently. You, you might remember, I don't know, some of you may, a guy by the name of Simon Cowell. He was a judge on American Idol. And 
uh, didn't really watch that, but uh, years ago it was a big thing. I suppose it is still now. He's on something else, and I don't know what else he's on now. But he, he was famous, at least at the time, for giving his thoughts on people singing, right? And uh, somebody would get up and sing, and, and American Idol was the song where normal folks would get up and sing, and some of them could, and some of them really couldn't. <laughs> and, and they would sing, and he would give his thoughts about it. Here are some of the things that he would tell people who stood before him to sing. He said, if you lived 2,000 years ago and sang like that, they would have stoned you. How's that for encouragement? He said, your lifeguard duties, if your lifeguard duties were as good as your singing, a lot of people would be drowning. It's just mean. Um, he said, that was absolutely ghastly. He's English. He says, I can honestly say if you won, it would be the end of the mu American music industry. <laughs> he says, do you really believe that you could become American Idol? Well, then you're deaf, is what he told another person. You know, these are some of his more kinder remarks. He was, just, he was just mean, right? Someone would come to him, and they would sing, and instead of giving them maybe some pointers or, or some other, he would just... He, he would just tear them up viciously. And most of us may not have to face critics like Simon Cowell, but there are times when we might fall into sin and the church, the church would try to treat us that way. Or maybe you're like that with sinning brothers and sisters. You see someone falling in sin and you're like, you know, if you were half the Christian that you think you are, you wouldn't be struggling with that. And that's the same kind of hateful comment that is not controlled by the Holy Spirit. Many of us might have experienced our brokenness that comes with sin, or we're trying to bear this burden ourselves, and sometimes we think, you know, the last place I want to go and tell somebody I'm struggling with sin are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be the first people we go to. But we have had experiences in the past, or we have, we have been told, maybe, and we're afraid that the church shoots its wounded. And so somebody says, man, I'm, I'm struggling with this sin, and we say, and we're afraid our brothers and sisters, controlled by the Holy Spirit, are going to say, get out, I never want to talk to you again. And that's not the body of Christ. That's not the way it should be. Today, we, we all need to make a commitment. We need to decide here and now that we are not going to shoot our wounded. That there are brothers and sisters, we all struggle with the flesh winning. And it doesn't mean we're not going to be honest with one another and say, this needs out of your life, but let's walk together in this. Because God can use this in your life to, to teach others how to, to get out. It, you can develop your relationship with Christ and be free from it. We need to make a commitment to one another. We're not going to hurt one another when we attempt to help a stumbling brother or sister. We need to commit not to condemnation, but to restoration. Paul shows us that accountability helps a brother get up. He also tells us that accountability helps us carry each other's loads. 
Accountability helps carry each other's old. He says in verse 2, look what he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear here, it means to carry what is, what is burdensome. It, it, it's something that's too heavy to carry by yourself. And it's calling us to bear one another's burdens, not in a reluctant and, and, um, and hesitant manner, but assuming that burden in a willing and supportive way. It's a word that indicates that sometimes we have a load that is too heavy to carry alone and we need someone to help. You know, there are loads that we carry, physical loads. You know, we bought something at the store and we can take it into the house and then there's things where like, I can't get that in by myself. So I'm going to call a friend or I'm going to call several friends I'm going to call a moving company or I'm going to call and get help because I cannot do this by myself. But emotionally it's the, and, and spiritually, there's the same thing. There are times we carry loads and we think, I've got this, I can carry it, I don't need any help. And we do. That's why God put us in a family of believers to help bur- carry the burden And this, too, is constructed in a way where he says, bear one another's burdens. It means we are to repeat this every time the need arises. We are to continually and habitually look to bear one another's loads in a willing and helpful way. And when we bear one another's burdens, we do so for the welfare of our brother and sister in Christ. When someone sins, we don't look down upon them and judge them and condemn them. We should sympathetically understand they are carrying a burden that we need to help with. Accountability helps us carry one another's load. Paul says, by doing that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Remember, they were all concerned about the law. He says, you want to fulfill the law when somebody is sinning, help them carry that load. And then you fulfill the law of Christ, which is summed up in one word, love. That word agape, right? Loving God, loving our neighbor, loving others as ourselves. It's the divine love that's produced as the fruit of the Spirit, that agape love that comes out of this. So the truth of the matter is, if we truly love each other, we will bear one another's burdens. We won't ignore those who we see who are in sin. But we say, I see this in your life, and, and it's not going to be good, and we want to help you get out of it. So we carry one another's loads. But we have to let other people into our lives to do that as well. I heard a story about a man who was carrying a load of potatoes into town. He wanted to take them in and sell them. It was a big, giant sack of potatoes, and he was carrying this load in, struggling, sweating, groaning, trying to get it in. A man with a truck came and pulled and saw him and says, hey, let me drive you into town. He says, okay. So he climbs into the back, into the bed, and he's sitting in the back, but he's got the load of potatoes still on his shoulders. 
And the guy starts driving down, and he sees the guy groaning and sweating still with the load. He says, hey, put the potatoes down and sit and, sit and relax. We're going to get you to town. And he says, look, you've helped carry me. I'm sure not going to let you carry these potatoes, right? And that's exactly what we do as believers. We get this big load of, of sin that we are dealing with, and we're like, I got it. I don't need anybody else. And then someone comes along and says, let me help you carry that. And you're like, okay, but I'm still going to carry this by myself because I want to prove to everybody, I don't know, like I'm super spiritual or whatever, when we know we all struggle. And so we let other people bear our burdens and we go and help people bear their burdens. Some of you today are carrying a burden that the Lord never intended you to carry alone. But you seem to insist on carrying it. He says, I placed you in this family. And you're like, man, I appreciate that, but there's no way I'm going to let you carry this load of potatoes that I'm carrying. And God says, I got your family here for you. And this person over here has struggled with that. And this person over here knows how to help you with that. And this person just has the kindness that you need to hear. And so let them bear the load with you. But instead, we want to lock it up because we're afraid. We're afraid the church is going to injure us. And we're afraid that they're going to see that we are sinners. <laughs> and here's the secret. We are right? The Christian life assumes accountability, and that means we have to be vulnerable and humble and transparent enough to admit that sometimes we need help. Sometimes we just need help more often than we will admit it. Accountability will help us get back up, and accountability will help us bear each other's load we also see in verses 3 and 4 that accountability forces you to make an honest evaluation. Accountability forces you to make an honest evaluation. Paul gives us a warning here. Look what he says. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. And then he'll have a reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. So he gives us this warning about accountability and restoring. He knows we're human. He knows we have egos. We have pride. And those characteristics hinder real accountability and restoration. And the way he writes, he's kind of assuming that there are some who aren't helping that there are people who are struggling in sin and there are people who decide, I see my brother sinning and I'm not going to help him. And so why weren't they helping? What keeps us from helping other believers? And the first thing he tells us is conceit does in verse 3. Someone thinks he is something when he is nothing and he's deceiving himself. Paul's statement has even more force in the Greek than it does in English. He's saying, if someone thinks they're morally superior, this tends to make them unwilling to bear the burden of someone else's responsibility. I mean, someone else's uh, load. They don't want to help take that burden off. Conceit 
in our circumstances. You know, we think we've got it all, our lives are all under control and that person's struggling. And so we have conceit that helps, that hinders us from helping others. That's what Paul is referring to here. It's the idea that a person sees that there is trouble, but the Christian sees himself as morally superior. And we're not morally superior, right? If we are all sinners desperate for the grace of Christ in our lives, then we are no better than anyone else. And if there's any way that we are combating sin, it isn't because of our willpower or our morality or how good we are. The only way we combat sin is the good grace of God poured upon us, the Holy Spirit residing in us through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is all God's doing. And so how dare we go to somebody and say how morally superior I am to this person because I don't struggle in that way. So conceit keeps us from helping, but also comparison keeps us from helping. In verse 4, he says, you must examine your own work. And then he'll have a reason for boasting. He says we shouldn't examine ourselves. I mean, not compare ourselves to this person who's struggling with sin, but we should look in the mirror and examine our work. And the word examine means put to the test for the purpose of approving. That we look in the mirror, so to speak, we, shine, we ask God to shine the light in our own heart and we say, what in my life is there, is there merit or any character that is, that is there? And we start seeing the grace of Christ in our lives where we have fallen, but God has forgiven us and, and where we have struggled in this area and God has given us the strength to combat it and we begin to have grace for other people saying this is the exact same thing they've been walking through. But when we compare ourselves to others, we will always find something that we are better at than they are, right? I mean, we always look at somebody and we compare. If we're comparing, we're, we're letting the flesh win and we're trying to see how much better we are than them. We don't look at somebody who's this pristine. We don't look at Mother Teresa and say, look how much better I am than her, right? We look at this person down here that we think lower of, for whatever reason, and then we compare ourselves to them and say, look how much better, better I am. But he says we need to not compare, but look at our own work. And then he says if we look at that and we are looking at the work that Christ has done in my life, then the only boasting we have is what Christ has done in us. That's what he's saying when he says, for then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to others. He's not boasting because I'm better than this person. I can boast because Christ gave me the victory through Christ. And so I can, I can boast in that and say, tell my sinning brother, I, was, I am weak just like you are, but Christ can give you the victory, so surrender to him. And that's the boasting that can be done. So when we think about comparison, 
And just real quick, there are kind of two ways we compare ourselves to other people. One is the conceit. One is, one is saying, I am doing much better than they are. But the other comparison that we do is not conceit, but, but condemnation, that I am worse than everybody. And, and that is just a, a condemnation straight from Satan. When we get the whisper in our ear that you are not a good Christian and you're an awful sinner, you can't help anyone, that is, that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so when we hear condemnation, that's a comparison we make and say, and that hinders us from helping, but it's, it's a lie from Satan. And we counter these, both conceit and condemnation, or conceit and comparison. We, we fight these so that we are able to help. We, we, we tend to think of ourselves as better. We, we forget that we have been saved only by the grace of God, that he loved us, he called us, he drew us. And over the course of time, we begin to think that somehow we played a part in that. We're like the little boy who was playing baseball. He throws up the ball. He says, I'm the greatest baseball hitter in the world. And he swings and he misses and he falls. Uh, the ball falls to the ground. So he picks it up again. He says, I'm the greatest baseball hitter in the world. And he swings again and he misses. He picks it up a third time. I'm the greatest baseball hitter in all of the world. He throws it. He swings again and he misses. And he's looking at the ball on the ground. He says, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. Right? I can... We, we make ourselves as good as we can make ourselves. And if we can't swing, we forget about that and say, now I'm the best pitcher. And let's ignore this over here. And that is the story that we do. We find it easy to condemn because we have inflated views of ourselves. And if we were more conscious of our own sins and we'd start remembering the grace of God that has forgiven us, then we would be very quick and easy to help restore our fellow believer who's struggling with sin. So before you condemn, before you criticize, look in the mirror. We're not as hot as we think we are, and we are a whole lot like our struggling brothers and sisters. Accountability helps us get back up when we fall down. It helps us bear one another's load. It forces us to take an honest look at ourselves. And Paul finishes his discussion on accountability by saying, accountability helps you carry your own load. Look in verse 5. For each one will bear his own load. Paul says each Christian has their own work to do. Yes, we are looking, we're talking about struggling believers, those we're helping up, but we all have our own work to do. We all have our load to carry. The word, the word here that he uses for load is a word that's different than burden in, in verse 2 where he says bear one another's burdens. That word in verse 2 meant something that was too heavy to carry by yourself, but this word is a word that meant like a, a backpack that you can carry. There are some things that you have to work out with you and Christ, and you just got to work it out. 
And you can go to your accountability partner and you can give them all your stuff you can, but the accountability street works two ways. If you have an accountability partner, you can't go to that accountability partner and say, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, and you're just bearing all, they're taking all your load, but you're not helping them carry their load. You can't do that. And there's some things you just have to work out between you and God. He wants to have that relationship with you. Just like in the marriage relationship, there are some things you have to work out. If you want that marriage relationship to be healthy and strong, you just have to pound out whatever that is. And and just like that, the Lord wants us to deal with our own load sometimes. There are things the Lord wants us to deal with and just to take over and, and, and let him work in our lives. So as we, we think about the necessity of accountability, here, here is what we find. The Christian life is not a life of living alone in isolation. The last two years have done a lot of damage spiritually to the church because there were times we felt like we needed to go in isolation and there's times who, where there's still some who are and there are legitimate re- reasons, health reasons, that people need to stay isolated. And so there is, there is that. I'm not condemning that, but I'm saying churches across the country have been, I would say, decimated other than it's the body of Christ and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The body of Christ will not be decimated. But it has done a lot of thinking that we can be isolated and be okay. And it's not true. The body of Christ is a body. Your arm cannot survive without the rest of you. Right? You chop off a finger, you don't grow a new body right? It dies. And so we cannot live in isolation. The Christian life is not a life of answering to no one. Even if you are here, there still might be those who say, I don't, I'm not allowing anyone to speak into my life. I don't want an accountability. That's not the normative Christian life. Even the elders of of our church, we get together on a regular, when we meet, we have a meeting tomorrow, gentlemen, we we get together, and the first thing we do is get together is we ask each other uh, four or five questions that say, how are you doing in this area? What's going on in this area? Have you done this? Is this okay in your life? And we hold one another accountable. And that's the way it needs to be with other believers. The normative, healthy Christian life is living in community with one another. It assumes accountability. And then that accountability helps brothers get back up when they've fallen into sin. Those, that accountability helps us carry each other's burdens so that we all get across the finish line, so to speak. It helps us force, it forces us to make an honest evaluation of ourselves and what's really going on in my life. And it helps us carry our own load. 
Swindoll tells a story. Charles Swindoll, you know, he's a pastor. And a few years ago, there was an angry man who ran into the Amsterdam Museum and he stopped at Rembrandt's famous painting called Night Watch. He took a knife and he repeatedly slashed it and just destroyed it. A little bit later, another man, unrelated, um, different place, he, he, another man went into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, and with a hammer he began to s- smash Michelangelo's sculpture that's called Piatta, which is a picture of uh, uh, Mary holding, holding Christ after he was crucified. And so here are two cherished works of art that were severely damaged. One cut through and just slashed to pieces. One with a hammer, this sculpture hit with a hammer and, and smashed. So what did the officials do? Did they look at this picture and say, well, I know it's Rembrandt's painting, but it's slashed, so let's throw it away, right? Out in the dumpster, they do that. They take this, this uh, sculpture and say, it's smashed, let's just throw it away. No, they didn't do that. These are works of art. They gave them to a, these, these art professionals, these experts, these, these people who are about restoration. And these, these experts began to work with these in attempt to restore them to some uh, a semblance of what they were. And these were canvas and clay, right? Humans are the image of God. And how much more are they a work of art? And so when a believer is marred, so to speak, a believer falls and is injured, we don't say, well, they sinned, they're out. That's, that's just not the body of Christ. It's about restoration. Wanting the best for them and saying, man, if you can remove this from your life, your relationship with God gets better and he can give you the victory over this. We need to be more like the art experts and work with care to make every effort to restore those who who have fallen. And it begins with accountability. If we're not allowing ourselves to be accountable to anyone, if we're not pursuing these types of relationships, who will help us when we fall? Who will help us get back up when we have fallen? I encourage you today to make a commitment to develop this discipline in your life, to go to somebody and just say, look, I don't even know how this works. I just want to get together with somebody. Can, can we try to develop that kind of relationship? Can we just talk about what does it mean to hold one another accountable? Or to go to somebody and say, I need you once a week to ask me this question so that I know someone is going to hold me accountable. Or maybe it is, hey, listen, if I'm in conversation with you, friend, and we're having a good conversation, you already have this relationship built up, and you say, I am struggling maybe with criticism. So when you hear me criticize, you just say, oh, wait, time out. We're going to stop. We're not going to do that anymore. And so I'll stop. Or maybe it's when I start using a certain kind of language or something and you say, I just need you to put, remind me that this is going on because I want this out of my life. It's just allowing somebody into your life that can be honest with you and help you, not in a condemn, con- condemnation type way, but in a restoration 
kind of way. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through how is God speaking to you? Paul says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Are you loving God and loving your neighbors by bearing one another's burdens? Heavenly Father, I come to you and ask that if you would, you would work in our lives this way. God, as, as the body of Christ here at Rosemont, we have such a loving family. People are so welcoming. It's fun to be here. It's fun to meet new people. We have a family that's full of grace. And God, I hope and pray that you would help us deepen those relationships to a, to a relationships uh, that, that are defined by accountability and not just to point out sin, not to announce sin, but to restore one another, to bear one another's burdens, to, to be the spiritual life alert that we need, each of us need in our lives. God, today, if there's somebody who, who is here who needs that, I pray that they would seek out somebody that they've got a friendship with or, or somebody that they know they can trust or, or someone that they would like to develop that relationship with and just make, make an appointment and say, let's get together and talk about this. Can you add some time this week or, or something, God, that you would just work that in a way that would develop those relationships in our lives. God, we want the Spirit to win. We want the Spirit to have victory. Sometimes the flesh wins. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, help us surrender more and more our lives to the Spirit. And if there is someone here today who doesn't know you, they've never trusted in you, God, I pray that they would find that this is impossible without the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he comes only when we surrender our lives to Jesus, not trusting in our good works, not trusting in our religious works, but trusting in what you did on the cross. And maybe today this accountability starts with a trust in you for the first time. So God, I ask that you would move if that's what needs to happen in our lives. God, I ask that you would move right now across this uh, sanctuary and in the hearts of those who are here and those watching online and I just pray that you would have lordship over our decisions and we would respond in a way that glorifies you and we ask this in Jesus name amen thank you for listening to the staying connected podcast the preaching ministry of pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose Colorado we pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry if you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.